Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Come join our Discord, follow our socials, and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there, and now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. Today's diamond platinum songstress rose to prominence with her smashing hit jar of hearts, which blew up not from radio, not from streaming, not from social media, but from choreography. The dance was one of the most iconic moments of the legendary show, So You Think You Can Dance. Only a year after taking the world by storm, she did it again with an even bigger record and an even bigger placement. Her song, A Thousand Years, defined the sound of the Twilight trilogy and topped all the charts and sold a bazillion records. All the way from here, this artist writes from the bottom of her heart and wears her heart on both sleeves. And the writer is Christina Perry. What's up? Dude, that was the best intro I've ever had in my whole life. Oh, I love that. I mean, you've done a lot of interviews, so I'll take that as a compliment. No, for real, man. Nobody does such like a, you know, like a cute one. I feel like I need to like like bring that around with me wherever I go and be like, I'm sorry, this actually is going to play before we begin. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing, like, and, you know, not to talk about the the podcast, but it's like, it's really an opportunity to... Like I, I'm I I love I love music and I love songwriting and to meet songwriters I'm still a kid you, you know those experiences that you had when you were first starting and you know those first times where you walked into that record label or that recording studio or you meet that writer and they said hey that guy wrote blank or that that woman wrote that that's all and you're like oh my god I mean. How cool is that? Like, I yeah. still feel that way, and I still get um, like, "Oh man, that person wrote." It's still so fun, and so it's like, yeah. I guess this is like this. It's a cool journey to go and and actually give respect to you know these other people that are are geniuses. Like you wrote you wrote songs that are are evergreens. You didn't just write songs that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of songwriters. There are a lot of artists. There aren't a lot of people who have songs that you know, go diamond. Like, I bet we can actually look up how many <laughs> songwriters it is, and it's yeah, infin- infinitesimally small. Is that a word? Might be. I mean, I love it. I love it. I feel like, you know, I'm kind of just as geeky about uh, about writers, too. I mean, people, you know, people ask me all the time, like, my favorite part about this, or, like, how I even got into this, and, like, it's actually quite interesting, and I'm sure you hear all the versions because I can't imagine, you know, like how many there are and how, how we all come to be who we are. But I feel like, like I was never the girl, like sitting in my bedroom with a hairbrush, like singing in the mirror, like I'm going to be a star. Like I was literally like, Oh, I'm going to write songs for other people because I'm too fucking shy. Like I just like, I really didn't, I really wasn't a a performer. Like I, as far back as I go, like my big brother was a performer. Like he was the star of the family. When I got a record deal, everyone in my family was like, wait, which Perry? Because I was like, so introverted. Like people don't know that really. I mean, especially when you have to like perform, you know, and you know, you kind of turn it on, but like my 
my true self is like, I always thought I'd be a writer because that's what I've done since I've been 14, but I never thought I'd like do the performer part. And so when I meet writers, I'm the same way. Like, I think it's cooler to meet a writer than a performer. I think like I met my favorite author of a book and I, I lost my shit. Like I like literally was like, it was like meeting Paul McCartney, you know? And like, so I still remain in that, you know, writer fandom because I think that's the craft. Like that's the thing I'm most proud of. Like, Sure. Is it cool that I sang for the president in 2014? Or is it cool that like I got to sing a thing at Disneyland? Yeah, that's super cool. But my favorite part is the the acknowledgement for being a writer is the stories about, you know, what the song meant to someone. Like, it's really just about the craft. Like, it always comes back to that for me. That's my favorite thing and my favorite thing to talk about. And honestly, like, when you're promoting stuff like people want to know your favorite color and i'm just like uh like ask me about how i wrote it ask me about how bad it hurt you know ask me about how it came together and how many sessions it took or you know like whatever like i just like i geek out when i get to talk about that so i was like so pumped to get to talk to you do you think you're an introvert because you have um because you had an older sibling that was a performer cuz i feel Question. like Maybe. I feel like I feel like siblings kind of have that yin and yang thing, and it, it probably yeah, you yeah. know. Well, also because he's like such a star. Like even when like, I mean, he wouldn't say this about himself, but like everyone knows, like when he walks in the room, he's just like dazzling. And like, I feel like when I came around, he's two and a half years older than me. And when I was born, like I didn't even talk for many years because he was like, oh, my sister Christina says, da, 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 you know, and like he spoke for me. And now that I'm a mom and I have a daughter. I like, you know, I talked to my mom all the time about that. And she's like, oh yeah, you, cause my daughter started talking at like 11 months. She came, she walked in her first birthday and was like, Hey everyone, I'm here. And like, I wasn't like that. My mom's like, no, you actually didn't talk for a very long time. And I was like, well, I think it's Nick's fault. Like, I don't think like, like, I think I had things to say, but he just said them for me. So I wonder because I'm like a big nerdy Enneagram fan. And like, I just feel like there's so much about my childhood. I just love discovering. And like, I do believe, especially now as a parent, that like, you know, I believe in the nature nurture thing. And like, I'm watching my kid, like she came out pretty badass. She's a Capricorn. She was like, you know, I'm finished breastfeeding. Like, I'm good. She's like, I sleep by myself. It's fine. I'm like, do you want me to sing a song? She's like, no, it's cool. Like, that's like, that's who she came out as. But then it's like, how do I support her? And so, so far she's like, you know, I'm learning uh, through teaching her how to be a human that like, wow, I kind of showed up this way, you know, and then, and then the the participation kind of molded me, but like, I kind of maybe showed up as like a, a little introvert. And then I just like stayed in my little turtle shell. And then the universe was like, no, 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 no. You're, you're coming out, you know, like it really felt like that. Piano is a good instrument for introverts because it's louder than most people can sing versus a guitar or some other instruments. Um, yeah. Did your brother also play instruments or was piano something yeah, that... best guitar player I ever met. So did you play piano because you were like, well, that instrument's missing in my household? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I play piano. Also because like my mom kind of encouraged me to take lessons. I feel like I was like that, you know, eight-year-old kid. And my mom's like, what do I do with you? And I was like, like watching my brother just be this virtuoso and so obviously I didn't want to do his instrument and then I think someone gave us a piano we couldn't like afford a piano and I think like my mom my mom did her hairdressers like one of their old customers gave us a piano 
I started lessons and the truth is I kind of hated it. I, I was like, I mean, now as a songwriter, I know I was a songwriter when I was eight and I kept wanting to change all the songs and make them more dramatic, which is so funny because like, I'm so like into dramatic ballads. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, doing these scales, but wanting to be like, da, 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 da. like, you know, and she was like, uh-uh. but she was like 90, my teacher. I remember she smelled like cats. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I did stick with it. That's the truth. Like, I kind of wish I did. And I feel like everyone says, like, my mom said, you're going to wish you stick with it. And I definitely do. But I, um, I also think there's something cool about the instrument, like, Cause, cause then I taught myself guitar when my brother moved away, he got a record deal at 16. He was like out the, out of the house. And then without his looming star, you know, vibes in the house, I just like sat there. Actually I was obsessed with blind melon and like, I learned all these blind melon songs and, um, and he came home like for Thanksgiving and I was like, look what I can do. And he was like, what? You know, he was so nice. I mean, he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't try to, overshadow me in any way he just like was amazing so wait how uh, did he who he got a record deal while he was in high school yeah from clive davis so you're uh, let's go give like some context of where we are we're in are we in pennsylvania at this time or are we in la we're in philly we're in philly so Mm -hmm. um you know philly's close to new york much closer to New Jersey, but it's, you know, it's right there. Um, sure. But somebody along the way is like, oh, these, these, the Perry kids are really talented. <laughs> yeah. In, in Philly. And look, I mean, how many kids grow up in Philadelphia where their teacher or their parents are like, oh, my kids are so, are so talented and they're not that talented. You know, they're really right, talented right. for there. I don't want to say they're not that talented. They're just not necessarily sure. like, you know. Yeah. Well, Clyde, Clyde well let me, okay, let me go class. back a little. For him, I mean, he was playing, there was actually a pretty cool scene in Philly in like 2001. This is around the time, like two, if I was in high school uh, in 2000. So this is 2000, 2001. My brother had a band called Silvertide and they would play and they were only in high school and they were playing bars on South Street. And then so was a bunch of other bands like War on Drugs. Like that's where they started. They were all best friends. Like, it was kind of like that. I mean, they weren't called War on Drugs. They were all in different bands, like Pepper's Ghost and Silvertide and um, uh, uh, Pawn Shop Roses. They, they, they were all just like those guys. And they played South Street every week. And, and there was just a buzz about them. And I guess it went to New York. And Clive Davis came to Philadelphia to see them because they just would crush it every night. My brother would walk out in the middle of South Street and play guitar, you know, like shirtless behind his head kind of like very throwbacky, you know, shredding. And he'd walk down South Street and like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like a moment, you know? And your, um, so they got par- signed and they toured with, I don't know, like Van Halen and Motley Crue and and all these like big, huge kind of legend bands. And, and then they were only 17 and they fucking lost all their money. They My brother bought 45 guitars. They got, the singer shaved his head and like took a Greyhound bus home and hated being in a box. They quit the band. My brother's like, uh, like he just wanted it to succeed. And then they just kind of all fell apart. Did you watch? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to be in a band watching that. And did you glorify that experience? Like if I hear that, you know, you watch shows about Motley Crue and you glorify it, but that... the the worst place you could have been in your life is in Motley Crue. Like those people are not happy people. No. And and barely survived if they did. And so like when you're when you're that close and you're a younger sibling who's now starting to aspire to write songs and stuff, are you thinking like, Oh, I want to be in a band too, watching that band fall apart? Or are you thinking, no, nah, I'm gonna do I got my own thing going? Yeah, I was like, Oh, that's such a good question. I I worked for them. I sold their merch. I had a fake ID. I was 15 and they were like, just bring your little sister. They like, and my mom's like, okay, cause you're with Nikki. Like I was like allowed, I was on tour with Molly Crew and Alice Cooper and Van Halen. And, and, um, I remember like, it's such a lifetime ago now. Oh my gosh, I'm 35. So this was, I was 15. And, um, no, I didn't want to be a rock star. I didn't want to be them. And then I had, because I also was like, I listened to the Beatles and Jason Mraz. I also was not like into, you know, uh, it didn't do it for me. You know, I was like writing little songs about how I wanted to marry Jason Mraz. I wasn't, I didn't want to marry Eddie Van Halen, you know, I like, so I feel like I just like was having fun. I was also like doing so many drugs and drinking. I mean, I'm sober now 10 years. Like I did it all then, you know, like I'm good. Like I really don't miss it at all. But I, so I had fun and I was crazy, but I, eventually was like, oh, I really need to like not work for my big brother. Like, so I went to college uh, when I, when I graduated high school, barely graduating because I was always like on trips. I remember like planning out all my days off, like in Philadelphia, I went to Catholic school. Like you were allowed to have 29 days without having to repeat the grade. And I just planned them as vacation days or tour days or, you know, and I was just like a character. And, um, and so I graduated somehow and I got a full scholarship to the university of the arts in Philadelphia and I was like on tour with my brother in London uh, when I got the call and my mom and dad were like, you're going, like you have to do your own thing. And so I'm glad that happened. I, I went to college and, and I really, that's when I really was like honing my own craft because I really could have just kept getting swept up in that. But I will say I didn't play shows like people, like when I got signed in 2010, I remember the, like I went around to all the record labels. I was playing little showcases. Like I was like throwing up three times before and two times after, because like, I didn't have that, that muscle. Like I didn't, I didn't play coffee houses. I tried one time. It was like a, a comedy show. I, I messed up and like, I'm singing jar of arts and it's like all dudes who are comedians. <laughs> it was like not a good vibe. And, uh, and so I didn't, I didn't perform like people really like I played for maybe my best friends and they were like, wow, you're actually very good. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. But I didn't show anybody. And I, I will say what kind of bridges everything is like, I put covers up on YouTube. I think that, and I'm not a YouTube person. Like I remember I had no views, like nobody was watching me. I was not a, a, you know, a, um, online viral. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't viral. Yeah. Yeah. I had, one friend that watched my videos <laughs> and, uh, but I at least like started putting it out there and then I existed on the internet so that when someone heard something I did, like there were a couple other songs and they were like, Oh cool. Let's meet with this girl. It kind of all 
happen you, really you perfectly. Said, but you've said a couple times, like you know, and my mom said, you know, you can go with Nikki, and my mom said this. Are your parents married? Are they? You know, are your was your is your dad involved in the equation at all? <laughs> yeah, but he's from Italy, and like he's way older. Like he's right now, he's almost eighty. Um, so when I was fifteen, uh, you know, he was kind of old. And uh, it's funny that I I don't mean to only say my mom. He was involved in the decision making, but he was also like, hey, whatever you want to do, you know what I mean? Like he like <laughs> he really. Um, both my parents, I mean, they're just innocent in a sense. Like they really, they're good humans. I love them so much. Uh, but they really had no idea also like what that whole world was, you know, like it was, it was tough in a sense for my brother and I to make it out alive out of that. You know, totally. we were just like children. I mean, I have a child now, like she's I know, four, you, but I'm just like. But can you imagine in, in 11 years that she's like, I'm going to go on <laughs> tour. No. You're going to be like, hell, you are not leaving. <laughs> leaving. You're not leaving this Molly basement. Crew? No, there was <laughs> no like way. a naked pass. Like you, If you wanted to go in Tommy Lee's naked room, you had to have this naked pass. Like I was 15. My brother's like, oh, you know, don't look at that. So anyway, I love my parents, but they, they're cute. Like I almost feel like I'm like parenting them now. You know, they're just like. I don't know, a little bit in the clouds when it comes to that stuff. Uh, can we anecdotally talk about Jason Mraz? Sure. Oh, my God. He's my okay. number one forever. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, my guess is that you, know, you guys end up crossing in, in your popularity. Like You guys end up mm-hmm. probably doing yeah. radio shows together. <laughs> and, yeah. um, so you know, when that's your number one, for sure you guys know each other now. Yeah. We toured together. We did a song together. Um, wait, wait, I didn't even say we, uh, the, the person that emailed me the very first time that my first manager, he found me on the internet through this, I don't know, magical chain of events. And he managed Jason Mraz. And that was in his little Facebook message to me. He was like, Hey, my name's Tom. I'm a music manager. I manage a guy named Jason Mraz. I was like, like I manifested that, you know, like I wrote a letter to Jason when I was 17. I'm so glad I didn't send it. Although he wouldn't care, but I like wrote a letter to him. Like, I can't wait to be on tour with you singing. Like, you know, we're going to know each other. Like, I don't know where that letter is now, but I was so not cool either. Like, I don't pretend I'm cool. Like, even when I did the Twilight stuff, like I've had the book covers framed on my walls. Like I was like crying at the theater. Like I do not play it cool. So when I met Jason, I like cried a little and then, then we like truly became friends. But I think he always kind of knew like, I'm like super fan. Like I know like every word, every breath he takes on every song. And I, you're like watching it. It's like when you're feeding your child and you open your mouth and she opens her mouth. It's like, he's about to breathe and you're like, (gasps) (laughs) you're like, okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I know every live version of every song. Like Uh, I had like the bootleg stuff on LimeWire. That that guy is so underrated in a sense that if you, if you haven't seen him perform live, that guy's intonation and accuracy when he's doing things like runs, like he clearly comes from, you know, a very like an old school kind of training, and um, but maybe the most important thing of Jason Mraz now is that he's an excellent avocado farmer <laughs> and coffee. He and co- coffee. Oh yeah, now. and coffee. Yeah, and pe- people don't realize like <laughs> yeah, like, he literally it, throws avocados to people in the audience. Like that's his like that's the, his thing. Yeah, the people don't recognize that that he supplies avocados and guacamole. Um, sorry, my mother is calling me. 
I don't know if that comes across, but anyway, um, okay. that happens. Yeah. Um, the uh, he he literally supplies avocados and guacamole for. Um, oh my God, Mom, are you kidding me? <laughs> Does that your mom? That's so cute. Does that ring? Can you hear that? Yeah. It's I can hear it. I can hear. Uh, this is what happens. You know, I don't have a, a, a voicemail set up on my phone, and sure. and the reason why is because um, if if I do, then my mom leaves me messages. No one else <laughs> does. Everyone else texts. They see like they see like oh they don't respond. Therefore, you can uh, text her. Tell her you're doing a no, thing. I it's it's like it even is. It's even on silent. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, he actually supplies avocados and guacamole for uh, what is it? Uh, Chipotle. Chipotle. Yeah, he's like yeah. a legit he's- avocado farmer. I anyway, know. we we can talk about Jason Mraz for days. And um, I could, I could. Um, but okay, so let's go to you know. There's there's the uh, I'm writing songs. I have three <laughs> three people who've seen a video on YouTube. I, I get a random email from a, a manager. It's still a big jump from, you know, I, I'm going to play this song live on YouTube to recording it. Tell, yeah, how did Jar of Hearts? How was it created? And then the journey from that, you know, to like, so you think you can dance? Sure, it's pretty quick in the timeline. It's like about six months. So I wrote, well, first of all, I moved to LA. I moved to LA on my 21st birthday. My brother was out here. He was like, Chris, come, let's do this. Like, you, let's graduated, do co- you graduated college? No, I left. Uh, I went three years. And then uh-huh. I was like, Whoa. I was doing documentary film. It was fine. Um, what's funny now is they Wait, call what? me alumni. You were doing what's what? That? You were doing Docu- doc- documentary film. Yeah. Like, like you wanted to be a director? You know, maybe I loved editing. I really love film editing, and uh, I made short films. Yeah. Are you? Are, did you do that throughout your career? Did you document your your own rise? I did in the beginning. Actually, I made little kind of like vlogs, you know, and yeah. I edited them. And then I kind of stopped, but I still love doing that. Like I love any kind of production. I wrote all my music videos. I worked with the, because uh, I was like a producer for a little bit in LA. I kind of have a film background. That's really interesting. Okay. I so just yeah, have an so editor's you- brain too. I like, I like song editing too. Like I learned Pro Tools in college. Like I, I kind of, I liked it, but it wasn't, I had no idea where I was going to go from there. So when my brother, who is my best friend, I mean, he was like, hey, come to LA. I was like, okay. And so I moved on my 21st birthday. Um, and funny enough, he went on tour with, at the time, he was playing with Perry Farrell and um, whatever his band was. Jane's Addiction? And, no, it was the other one with Pornos his wife. Pornos for Pyros? Oh, no, it was the no. one after that. Satellite Party. Right, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Um, so anyway, he wasn't even here. And then I like had to get a job and make friends. And anyway, long story long, I'm here. I'm waitressing. I'm writing music. You know, that's sort of like what I was doing. Where but you wa- I remember. Where, where are you waitressing? I was waitressing at a place called Chocolat, mm-hmm. which now is, I think it's nothing right now. What it used to be, it's across from the Improv on Melrose. Uh-huh. It was like a really fancy French restaurant. And um, I was waitressing there and just writing a ton of songs. And By yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do a writing session until I had a, like a record deal. 
yeah. my first writing session ever was uh, t- 2010. So like, I just wrote songs by myself and then I would put them on YouTube. Um, Did you ever wait on someone where you were like, "This, I need to let them know that I'm a, you know, I'm a musician." Was there ever like, "Oh my God, that's you know, I'm wait, that's Jimmy Iovine or something like that." No, no, especially because like I didn't think I was the artist. Do you know what I mean? Oh, right. I was not like, "Hey, look at me." I was never ever like that. I was just like doo going home and doing my thing, and then I was. I was recording these songs so that I had recordings on my little like, you know, camera. I didn't have like an audio setup. And so I would record them, put them on YouTube. So they existed for me basically, or like, I guess it was my catalog, you know, but no, I never was like, I, I didn't self promote. It made me uncomfortable. I was just like, you know, I'm just waitress, which is fine. I mean, I definitely met cool people, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't about me. I never really, I was like, so not LA. Like everyone who was waitressing was trying to get discovered. And I was just like, I'm just trying to pay my bills. But who, um, who are you, when you were writing these songs, you know, when you're thinking I'm going to, some, I'm writing these songs and someone's going to cut them. Mm-hmm. Like who, who did in your mind was going to cut these songs? Like you had Jar of Hearts. Who is going to cut Jar of Hearts in your head? Was there an artist that you were like, oh my God, if Pink were to cut this? Do you know what I mean? No, Who are you writing? You know what's really for? funny? I was too even innocent in the sense that I I had just learned that was a job. Like I didn't think that I didn't think consciously about writers that gave songs to other people until I moved to LA and learned that was actually a job you could do. And then I absolutely didn't didn't plan ahead. Like at all. Like which fun it's funny now to me because like I was the one singing it on YouTube. I was the one playing it for my friends. Like I probably couldn't imagine anyone else singing it. And like, actually what's funny now about Jar of Hearts is like, it's, it's been covered a gajillion times. And like that first verse, like it's really hard to sing it just like me because my voice is so low. So like a Mm. lot of people sing it very like, I know I can take one more, like very Broadway. And I absolutely love when people cover it, but it is funny because I'm like, wow, I really feel like that's my song you know what i mean like yeah. that's like made for my vocal cords yeah um so i think i was almost insecure i think it's more about like maybe i wanted to be the one that would sing it because i didn't make a plan but i didn't know how to go from a to b i didn't know how to to find the confidence to do it and that's why i think the universe stepped in and really kind of pushed me is through it, that fear is it getting the email from a, a big manager is it um what is the where is the moment where you're like, all right, I if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this right. So it was my best friend. I have a fairy godmother named Kelty. She's uh uh well, she was a Radio City Rockette. She was just like a dancer. She was actually my brother's girlfriend for a little while. They broke up. I kept her. She's been my <laughs> best friend for twenty years. And That's she funny. moved to LA and was like you are special. No one knows who you are. I'm going to manage you. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, well, I work two jobs. So good luck. And then she was the one, cause this, this is actually really cool. So I wrote Jar of Hearts on December 29th, 20, uh, 2009. So going into 2010, I remember writing it. I was home for Christmas at my parents' house in Philly I played it for my mom. She was like, that's nice. Like it was, it was like, and it, at the time I wrote it on guitar and it's, I called it jar full of hearts, same exact chorus. 
just different verses and, and um, no pre. I don't think I, I didn't have that pre yet. And, uh, and so I put it in my pocket like all my other songs. This was not like a aha. I just wrote the song that's going to change my life moment. This is just like one of the songs. And so I, I showed Kelty because she's my only fan and also my friend, my only friend, really. <laughs> and uh, and Kelty was like, okay, when you get back to LA, you're going to perform and I'm going to manage you. And so she called 2010 The 10. And she made me write down a letter to the universe. She's like, get a pen. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Like I was so less crunchy back then. And, uh, and she was like, no, we're going to write a letter and write on the top of the 10. Like we still have this piece of paper, by the way. And, um, and she goes, okay, you know, I'll go first. She's like, 2000, in 2010, I'm going to, um, quit diet Coke. I'm going to, hmm. you know, uh, get great bangs. Like she's going to cut her hair. She's like, I'm going to stop dating losers and I'm going to send Christina magic motivational moonbeams quote. Right. I wrote down. I'm like, okay. And then like, she's like, okay, your turn. And I'm like, you know, so I put like quit smoking. I smoked cigarettes, uh, play three shows was my thing. Um, I wrote and, uh, meet Jason Mraz was on my list. Uh, put 20 bucks a week away for savings because I had no money and, uh, bask in Kelty's magic motivational moonbeams. And I wrote that and then cut to, I fly back to LA Kelty uh, is a dancer, so she was very much into So You Think You Can Dance, the show, the whole community, right? And she uh, put on, this is crazy, you're not even going to believe this, but I swear I'm not making this up. Um, she lit all the candles in her apartment, and she had just broken up with the guy she met on Match.com. And I had just gotten home from work. I was exhausted. I was already in my pajamas. She was like, lived across the street from me. She's like, you need to come over and play a song for me so I can dance. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm tired. I'm not doing that. She's like, but I lit all my candles. And so I literally walk over in my PJs. She puts a beret on my head so that you can't tell them in my PJs. Sits me in the dark in the corner on a stool. Asks me to sing her favorite of my songs, which is called Black and Blue. And I'm playing it and she's literally like, you know, just contemporary dancing her feelings out, you know? And I'm just like, trying to be a good friend. And I'm just like, are you done? Like, do you feel better? And she's like, I do. I do. Thank you. We walk out of her apartment where this is the part in the Disney movie where there's like a, a star that sort of shoots by. And she, I, she puts her arm around me and she's like, you know, Chris, we're looking at Capitol records. We were on Beachwood drive in all those teeny little apartments at the bottom. And, uh, and we're, and she puts her arm around me. She's like, you know, Chris, you just need like a real manager. Like, you know, not me, like someone that actually knows people, someone that can like, you know, have you do stuff, like record things. And I was like, yeah, okay, bye. And like, I go home, I go to sleep and wake up to that email from that manager, I swear in the morning from Tom Gates. And I'm like, like, you know, it's like waking up in Freaky Friday. I'm just like, wait, am I a witch? Like what just happened? And then I find out that Kelty posted a video of her doing that because she took like a little video on her point and shoot like tiny camera i didn't even see it she posted it on twitter and her ex-boyfriend uh was in a band that had this i don't know this guitar player of this band that was friends with tom gates that tom gates sent out to go find someone on the internet that nobody knows about and then that guy followed kelty because she dated his singer 10 years ago or something. 
And he saw this video. I swear to God, I swear, swear, swear. And he saw the video of me playing Kelty dancing and he sent it to Tom. And then Tom looked up my YouTube and then Tom wrote me an email and he managed Jason Mraz. And I was like, ah, like this was not, and I'm still trying to answer your question from five minutes ago. Like this is how fast it happened because then I had jar of hearts. I mean, I had a jar full of hearts and then they were like, you know, do you have a bio? And I was like, of course I have a bio. And then me and Kelty wrote a bio really fast. You know, I mean, this was like, I, I am a person. Night. I am from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Send. <laughs> like, you know, it's so fast. You're like, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's how it happened. We were screaming. Like we actually, Kelty took a picture of me in front of my computer, like, like pointing yeah. at my computer at the email from Tom. Like it was just like so genuine and, and, and like, the, the type of shit that like is really lightning in a bottle. Like you, it was so hard for me when, when my career took off, like to tell people what happened so they could try to do what I did. Like it was so magical, you know? And like, I don't know. I, it, it, that, that was just the beginning because then I, I made the demo. Right. So then, so Tom and his partner, Ryan worked for Bill Silva. They put me together with a guy named Barrett Uretzian and Drew Lawrence, these two guys, we were working for free. We all had other jobs. It took us a month to make a demo. We made, uh, we rewrote, me and Drew rewrote Jar of Hearts on piano. So we transposed it. Then we wrote the, the a bridge together and the prees together. And I think my, I wrote all the lyrics. Like I, I remember taking home like a, because um, we would meet so rarely. I like took home a voice note and would like work on it, work on it, and then go back to them with ideas and things. And All, uh, all, all with Jar of Hearts, just with that song. Yeah, because they were like, what's your favorite? Like, what should we record? And I was like, well, I think this one's the best. But like, I honestly didn't know. Like, I gave them like four options and everybody picked this. This is uh, probably a personal question, but in that in, in that case, do you guys split publishing equally? Oh, it's a mess. It's a it's a mess what happened. But yes, but, but it was right. like, nah, it was pretty unfair. I've now... 10 years into it, 11 years, 12 years into it. I'm, I've never been unfair. I'm such a yeah. advocate, you know, an ally for songwriters, but it was like, we didn't have anything written down. That's the truth. You know? So like everybody drew and I wrote the song and Barrett produced the song, but that's not how it went in the end, which is fine. Cause honestly, it was never about that anyway for me. I moved forward. I was like, well, it- I'm, it moved obviously there there are songs you have later that that end up trumping that in some ways and it's like it's really yeah. about, it's really about the experience and 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 opening the door to uh, yeah but it was my first experience like i guess in the music business because all of a sudden i mean here's the thing it happened so fast that like my managers weren't even my official managers. My lawyer wasn't officially my lawyer, you know, like nothing, like we had to do it all after the fact. So jar of hearts. So I make this demo and then I, I play it for Kelty and I'm like, Oh my God, listen to this. Like, this is the coolest I've ever sounded. This is the first time I'm ever recorded. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm like freaking out, but I'm also, I don't want to be the one that sings it. This is the moment where I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to have this demo. But like, I don't think I'm the artist. I think Tom and Ryan are going to help me get this song to a different artist. And, uh, and so, but still I had a blast and I love singing. I've been singing my whole life. So I send it to Kelty and I'm like, don't show this to anyone. 
And she's like, yeah, yeah, cool. She immediately emails it to the choreographer on So You Think You Can Dance, who she happened to grow up with in Canada. Like they were like little kids together in a dance studio. So she says to Stacy, hey, this is my friend Christina's song. Like, it's so great. What, maybe one day you can play it on your show. And Stacy said, how about Wednesday? And this uh-huh. was June 30th, 2010, 8 p.m. They play a minute and a half of Jar of Hearts. I have no record label, no managers. I'm just a waitress. I had to like put it on iTunes. We had to ask a favor from someone who knew someone at iTunes. This guy, Jordan, he put it on overnight. They put a photo of me like that we had taken the day before on like a phone. It's the demo. It's never not been the demo. We never like, I mean, I guess we mastered it really fast, but it was just the demo. And they play it in the show and they'd have this like epic dance to it. And then, and there's seven other songs on that show, by the way, that night, every night, every, every episode. And Jar of Hearts just, it just exploded. And I kept getting phone calls from, you know, everyone I knew. And I had 6,000 friend requests on Facebook because I just had a regular Facebook, you know? And I was like, what is happening? Like what, like it happened so fast it was like a tornado and I didn't sleep the whole night. I was like answering everyone's messages. They were like, this song just like, you know, changed my life. I was so depressed. Like I can't stop crying. Like I just had this breakup or, you know, it was just like, you know, people like really emotionally sharing with me. And I was like up the entire night answering them. Like so much. Oh my God. Thank you. You know, like I was just like this 23 year old waitress that like all of a sudden everybody's listening to. And then in the morning, it was, I don't know, number six, I think, on the chart. Stayed there for a whole week. I flew to New York City. I met with every record label. And, like, now all of a sudden, I've got managers. I've got these, you know, this deal to make with with Barrett and Drew. And I've got a lawyer. And now I signed with Atlantic Records. And that was July 6, 2010. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So crazy because you you try to tell people when is the right time to find a manager and it's when they find you. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing across the board. Uh, you fill in the blank, record label, public, everyone who's sending things out, sending things out. It's like the real time to do it is if you could orchestrate that experience. If you if you could purposefully get that experience, that is the mm-hmm. best possible experience to get the best representation. The best yeah. lawyers, the best label, all that. Also, the stuff. best record deal because I already yeah. had sold two hundred thousand singles. So crazy. So, like within a week, 
that i mean this is you know still when people were buying music way more and um our friend our our friend pete gambarg is a uh a a big hearted individual in the as mm-hmm. far as A&R people go i imagine that as far as walking into rooms that that was a comforting you met with a lot of different A&R people. I mean, why oh, yeah. Why did you choose Atlantic over all of the others? It's so funny. It's Pete. It was Pete. It was always Pete. It was also um, Andrew Luffman at the time was his wow. partner. Nice. So fun fact, Benny Blanco's mom is who watched Drive Hearts on So I Think You Can Dance, called Benny Blanco and said, I just heard the best song ever. Benny called Andrew Luffman. Andrew Luffman checked it out. Andrew called Pete, and then Pete called my manager. Found me within one day. Like I, I flew to New York the next day. So what's interesting is I remember I met with every label. I played four or five songs for them, and when I got to Atlantic, Julie was like screaming at Craig, and then and and Pete and I were talking about uh, New Jersey and Philly, and and I was like, I took my shoes off, and that was like for me because like I'm so like Italian, and and I'm like. I only make decisions with my heart. So like, I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about the deal. Obviously my managers did, but like, I just cared that like, I felt so comfy there and I hung out there for a while. And then Pete, Pete's been with me since that moment. It's been me and him. The, um, just to give some context for those who don't know, Craig and Julia are the, the heads of Atlantic and, uh, yeah. Pete is, you know, president of A&R. A&R. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, we just instantly connected. Yeah. And he liked me because I, I grew up in a Jewish uh, hair salon. And I told him that we were Bisher. And he like <laughs> yeah. fell out of his chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was like, we're Bisher. Uh, like, yeah. He helped sell that story. You know, yeah, yeah. meeting me, he was like, I just knew when she, she spoke Yiddish to me. Like, <laughs> that I won him over, I guess. I love that. Um, okay, so, you know, this song does what it does. We all know what it does. Um, yeah. Now there's pressure to follow that up. And now there's pressure to, you know, the song does well at radio. You now are performing shows, which must have been, you know, if you've gone from these songs might get cut by somebody else someday to Mm -hmm. I now have to perform in front of people when you were vomiting just to audition to people. I guess one, how did you deal with the stage fright of that? And how did you deal with the pressure of following up? Sure. So I'll tell you right now, um, it, it happened too fast for me to uh, process the pressure. So like when you're in a trauma, like I literally feel like it was a trauma, even though it was good trauma, it was like I wasn't fully present for the first 10 months. So I was on, I went from signing with Atlantic to never going home for 10 months. And, uh, and I definitely was traumatized and in a good sense, wasn't able to overthink things. I also was sober, which I have to say was amazing because I was not, um, I'm, I'm just a better human when I'm sober. So I was like, really, I had tools. I had tools to help my central nervous system. I had tools like with meditating. I had a sponsor I would talk to. Like, I remember that, that was like, I was like going through a hurricane, but I had, I had like roots if that makes sense. So like my family was so amazing and, and, and kept me from losing my mind. And then also my sobriety was a huge, huge route for me. Um, but then also I really didn't think it was going to be me the whole time. I still had this like imposter syndrome 
pretty much until a thousand years came out. And then I went, okay, okay, it's me, it's me. But I did like, I wasn't putting that on myself that like, I'll believe that this is, this is a real thing. If I, if I can strike lightning again, I feel like that might've been the pressure. That might've been the narrative I had in my head and I didn't know it. But like when a thousand years happened, I was so, I just think of myself as being so innocent. Like I didn't know that there was, everyone was judging me that that was going to be the, you know what I mean? I was like, I was just in it. I was too in it to see around it or like look at it. And so coming from it, I was just doing every single thing my manager was asking me to do, which was something every single day. And then when the Twilight stuff came about, I kind of felt like, because I loved Twilight, the books and the the soundtracks. And and I just was like, woo! Like I was like so giddy and nerdy about it. And I made David Hodges come to the studio with me. He was like, I do not want to watch, like we the screening for the film. He's like, I do not want to watch this film. And I was like, you're watching the film with me, sir. Like he was my best friend at the time. And so he came with me and, you know, it was like, I didn't know it would get picked. I didn't, I thought a million people wrote songs for movies. Like this was still that 23 year old innocent, you know, I'm sure no one's going to listen to this. So let's just have fun. You know, I really was not like, oh, this must be great. And, oh, I, you know, everyone's like, cares I, I still had this like again I think it's due to low self-esteem like I just thought no one really cared or that no one you know may hear this and so we were so genuine we were just like you know we liked it and 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 then it, it just the success of that I mean hasn't stopped but but I remember then being like a little bit more confident I I would say that that's when I was like on stage when everyone is singing along with you. I mean, Jar of Hearts definitely, but then a thousand years, something happened where like, I all of a sudden kind of grew into the, the performer. I was like, oh, you know, this is like, like my job, but this is like, this part of it's really important. And like, these people are crying. Like I'm looking at them and I'm very present and like, I'm very uncomfortable because it's odd when you're very present. Like I used to ask my band, like, what are you guys thinking on stage? And they're like thinking, you know, like yeah, they don't right. even think. And I'm just like, totally. but, you know, and I'm like looking at all these people having this experience, looking at me. And I was just like, okay, okay. Like this is of service. It was kind of like, that's what got me through it. Like, just be of service, show up, don't think about it. And also get through it. I had to survive it. I'm not going to lie. It was insane. I did 19 tours in a row. Um, how did you stay sober during all that? I didn't. Uh, I relapsed the day my album came out, May 10th, 2011. Then it took me a whole year to get sober again. And funny enough, it wasn't, it wasn't um, messy. So I think actually drinking was a little bit of self-sabotaging. I was kind of like, Oh my gosh, all my dreams came true. Everything's great. And I'm just going to like drink. Like it was, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I appreciate my story, how I got to where I am because of it, but it was a sadness. And this, I mean, I don't know, I could talk about sobriety all day, but, but it, it took me realizing that it wasn't the drinking. That was a problem. Like I had champagne after the show. I didn't get drunk. I was fine. Everyone's like, you're not an alcoholic. You're fine. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not. And then I realized that the, the brokenness and, and the sadness 
uh, inside of me was the thing, like I had shut myself off from some sort of light that I have when I'm sober. And it took me an emotional bottom. So in March 1st of 2012, I just wanted to die. And my one of my best friends came to Portland, Oregon to see me do radio promo just because uh, she had lived there. And she was sober and she was like, dude, you look like shit. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't care if I die. And she was like, let's go to a meeting. And then I, I literally got sober that day and have been sober since. And it's only because I was so sad, not because I was hungover or sick. And I think a lot of people who get sober have that version where they're like, oh, I crashed my car, I broke my legs, I lost my wife, I lost all this. And it didn't actually change your heart until you were emotionally done, bankrupt. So in the spirit of talking about, you know, um, you know, writing these songs that are so emotional, that's obviously Mm -hmm. like one of your fortes, but it seems to have really come out a lot while collaborating with other people. So it might be antithetical to what you think being truly honest is like, it almost helps to have someone in the room that acts as like a fellow therapist. Tell me yeah. a little bit about your, your co-writers. I mean, obviously Hodges has been on the show, good friend, you know, but like mm-hmm. you have like a lot of these great, you know, you, you worked with the biggest of the biggest, you know, whether it's, Kirsten and Jack Antonoff and Jake Gosling, John Hill, all these great sure, producers sure. and good co-writers. You know, um, one is at this time, it seems like a lot of your collaborators are men, which mm-hmm. we'll get to later what, you know, what you're currently working on. But sure. why, why those collaborators and why did that bring out such honesty for you at that time? Sure. So I'll tell you just straight up, the list was all Pete. I, uh, I would, I would meet people like Jack Antonoff and I were friends and I was like, let's write, you know, like that would happen organically, but really rarely. Normally it was like, if I'm doing a writing season. So like if I'm writing my first album or writing my second album, um, Pete was right there with a list of 40 guys. You know what I mean? And obviously we could talk about this later about, you know, how I've flipped completely the script and, and, uh, and how cool it is to, you know, have a list of 40 women. But I, at the time, I also, you know, didn't even know I really had a choice, if I'm being honest. And and to no fault to anybody else. This is just the way it went in 2010 and 12 and 13, and, you know. And, uh, and so I would show up to every single person that Pete wanted me to write with because I trusted him. And then I would give, you know, some of my opinions and people I wanted to write with or hang out with because I just liked them or was a fan. Or like I became close with Ed Sheeran and I was like, I definitely want to work with Jake Gosling. I just love his record. You know, like so it would ha- that would happen or organically from me. And then because Pete and I had this really great relationship, we just trusted each other. And, and that's sort of how it went. I really never walked out of a writing session without a song. Um, I also walk in, I, I walked into every single writing session, exactly the human being I'm being with you right now. And like, I was never, uh, you know, lacking in in conversation or like shit I'm going through or vulnerability or like honesty. So it was like, I want to think now, you know, that it was probably refreshing for the writers, you know, that I would come in like, well, my heart's broken and I hate this guy and this happened last <laughs> night and yeah, sure two is. nights ago, this guy said this and let's <laughs> fucking go. And like, <laughs> I was single, meaning not married. So I was just constantly dating like assholes and it was wonderful. It was like the songs just like 
just flowed out of me for, and they were all true stories. Everything I had been through. I'm sure some writers that I wrote with were like, this girl is so like, (laughs) you know, because I'm just like an oversharer, but like, that's the only way I knew how, and that would make me comfortable because if I went in a room and like, I don't know, was not sharing what I was feeling or going through, I'd feel really inauthentic and weird. Like I didn't know how to even be that way. So I didn't overthink it. I was just like, you know, yeah, this is what's going on. And I, and I connected so deeply to these people because as you know, songwriting is like the most intimate thing ever. You're not just like, I mean, unless I think, I'm sure there's scenarios where six people get in a room and they're like, let's write a hit. I don't know. I've never been in that room. I have no idea how that goes. Like, you know, with these big time pop writers, I go in a room with songwriter, singer songwriters and we're just like our feelings and we're so blue. And you know what I mean? And it's like, how do we even write a happy song? Like I remember me and um, uh, Jamie Scott were like, dude, we'd written five songs together. And I was like, I have nothing up tempo. Like whatever that means. I keep hearing my label say that, like we need something. And he was like, well, have you ever been happy? I'm like, no. But that's so, it's so funny. Cause like here you are smiling for, you know, and throughout this entire interview telling your journey, which has trauma attached to it, but still there's this catharsis with being able to talk about it, and you have this ability to find some joy in where you've ended up so far. And so it's, you know, also, I mean, this is a different moment than than it is in 2014. And so it's, you know, it's it's obviously different. I imagine sure. also like you had you'd been on tour with your brother and you've been surrounded by a lot of, you know, guys in the music business that mm-hmm. it wasn't uncomfortable for you to be in a room with a bunch, you know, with guys no. talking about things that matter because you've been, you, if you ever toured, you know that like it's the same thing on tour and maybe even more mm-hmm. vulnerable as it would be in a, you know, a session. So I, yeah. I imagine that you were able to jump to like conversation that has depth from the outset. Yes. Yeah. I never felt uncomfortable. I also have to say, I never was like, I never got weird vibes from someone also because I'm from Philly and I'm Italian. Like I, I think like, like people don't just hit on me. You know what I mean? Like if I have this like energy, maybe where like I go more into like bro land very easily because I have a brother, you know, I wasn't like flirty and it was never the vibe in the writing session for me. It never felt like I was a girl and they were a boy. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, we just instantly connected. It was just mus- musicians in a room making music. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It was so beautiful. I really had in- incredible experiences and felt lucky to get to know so many amazing writers and musicians and producers and, you know, and it would get messy. It was like, I was also dramatic. Like now I'm like laughing and it's cute. Cause I think about my younger self or like, but I was like, you know, dealing with, at some point me and Pete would disagree so much. Like, I mean, they like remixed the song I had 25 times and then we went back to the original mix. Like I've had like just the drama of being on a major label. And, and I also like kind of took a really big break because of it. Like if we're trying to sort of catch up to today, I was on tour, like I said, like uh, 18 tours in a row. It was five and a half years straight. When, when I got home, I was like, see ya, like I'm broken, you know, like everything about me, like I had, I had exhausted it all. And like, I just laid on the floor for a whole week, like, you know, not to be so dramatic, but I did. I, I put together Legos for like a whole month and like literally put myself back together. Uh, 
But I was like, cool, I'm never going to do this again. Like I played Gillette Stadium with Ed Sheeran on September 25th, 2015. And when I walked off the stage, I took a bow and I was like, I'm out. Like what a way to go. Like it was literally 55,000 people like all singing. And I was like, see ya. And I was just like, I'm done. I was completely, I had absolutely no interest in doing it again. I thought all my dreams came true, had a great time. I'm out. And everyone who knows me knows I really, really felt that. And then just the way life happens and works is, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not a performer, right? So then I'm realizing, oh, well, I'm home for all these years. Like, of course I'm writing. I'm just not performing. So then like, as I'm writing and writing and writing, I go through the craziest five years of my life, which is the past five years, emotionally. I mean, getting married and, uh, I mean, the pandemic, obviously, but like, for me personally, I had, I became a mom and then I had a miscarriage and then I had a stillborn child. And, and then, uh, you know, the grief, I just became just, just in grief. Like I just was like, well, I'm a different human now. Like I had so many transitions and, uh, wrote through it all literally because I don't know what else to do. I'm a songwriter. That is my heart. That is my language. And so when everyone was like, you know, how are you surviving? It's like, the truth is I wrote about it, you know? And it's like, now looking back, I'm so glad I did because I, I was writing the whole time and I have all five years worth of life uh, written. And my new album is about literally the, the hardest stuff ever. It's so funny because, it, you know, it's so my lane. Like, I, I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny that I have a song about like, you know, postpartum depression and death. Like, you know, it's like, I did, there's nothing I skipped this time. And like my brain thought I was going to, I was going to stop. I was going to be a normal person. I was going to um, change who I am completely. And in reality, my life was like, no, you're not. You're going to write about everything you're going through. You are that voice for a lot of people. And then you're going to put it out in the world. And like, that's who you are. And like, it's funny because here I am at 35 talking about being 23 and being like, it's not me. It's not me. And like, that's, that's reality. I'm still like, is it me? Is it me? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's me. But, but I, I have a different perspective now, but my writing is exactly the same. Like everyone asks like my process and how am I different now? I'm not. I write about what I'm going through. It heals me first. If no one hears it, it's fine because it worked for me, you know, but I'm honored now. There's something about having a break for five years that makes me feel like, you know, plus the pandemic, like, and everyone not working and just like having that collective trauma. Like I'm just honored now. It's different. I don't feel like I have to do it. I feel like I want to do it. I feel like these songs, if anything, are going to, you know, kind of go out into the world of, specifically for moms, you know, and if I only write songs for moms for the rest of my life, I'd be fine, you know, but I know there are people who are listening that I think are really going to like it. And I'm, and I'm genuinely very proud of turning all the pain I've had into, into music again. Yeah. I mean, there's something amazing about, um, you know, 
I obviously I know a lot of the collaborators on the new album too, Jen DeSilvio and and mm-hmm. Mozilla and and Wendy Wang and Amy Wodge, of course, Rachel Platt yeah. and Asia. All these people are yeah. like Asia is like a really good family friend, you know, like oh, cool. you know, the um what the fact that you've surrounded yourself with talented, capable women in a business that tends to um just be so male heavy is is where the music industry can go. You have an executive producer that's female, and to be honest, females should also be executive producing male artists as well. And I think the industry sure. should acknowledge that a lot of women producers are as talented and can see things that a lot of men producers can't. And so I, I applaud you for casting such talented people around you. Regardless of their gender, these people are the best in the business, mm-hmm. and and you're talking about things in this that, you know, I have a a, a nine month old, so it's like the, you know, what women go through in in creating a human and sustaining life of a human is is truly remarkable, and a lot of artists are afraid to talk about the parts of life that are difficult, you know. A lot of people mm-hmm. just don't. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of artists as they mature, they they struggle with with talking about the things that are relevant to them. And so, again, I applaud you on on having concepts that actually matter to yourself and and to more people than you know. I think you know you realize like that's that's going to be a Thank really pos- positive message. Thank you. I really felt like I have to say um, two things. One is when there was like a meme that went around. I think it was the Grammys in 2019 maybe or something. And it was just like a statistic that said it was like 95% men, 5% women in production, and then like 3% women in engineering or whatever, and or mixing. And, and like that actually just like really got to me. I was like, because at the time I'd already become a mom. So once I, once I became a mom, I like really changed my whole world. It, like my perception, my, the, the filter that I, that I had on life, it just completely changed. I'm sure, you know, becoming a dad even, but definitely for your partner, like, it's just like, you can't, you don't never go back. It's like pre-mom or, or pre-parent yeah. and then after parent. And, um, and so that happened for me as far as like wanting to surround myself with like real warm, you know, feminine energy. Um, but then I was just like, damn, like if, if artists like me don't hire these women, women, they're, then that's not like, you know what I mean? You can read something like that, but you got to actually make the move. So when Pete was like, are you ready to write? And I was like, yeah. And, and, I, and he was like, okay, here's my list of men. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Give me 25 women first, you know? And he was like, okay, like yeah. I had to do that. Like artists like me have to do that. Uh, you know, like we just do. And like, that's how it's going to change, you know? And I hired Dina Johnson, the greatest engineer ever. And she flew to New Jersey and made this whole album with me. And it was like the best experience I ever had with an engineer who just like cared so much about what I thought of my voice, you know? And it was just like, and I'm not saying men can't be that way. It's just that I, I did that and now I'm doing this. And, and it was just, where I was at in my life and who I felt comfortable to be around. And also it was my choice to just give women this opportunity. And, um, it was the best. It was literally, it's, it's like, I, I really think like 
I, I love all my albums, but like this one is my favorite for so many reasons. And I think that the 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 sound and the vibe and like everything about it coming out of like brokenness, this is just like so floral and beautiful and feminine and like Heck yeah. That's my season. This is the season I'm in. It doesn't matter for anyone else. Like this is just my season of being a mom and having a daughter and wearing pink. Oh, wearing pink and purple. Like that's not, that was not me 10 years ago. So I'm staying true to who I've evolved into and also loving the narrative that I've given all these women, this, this work, like my vocal producer is a girl, my manager is a girl. Like, it's just kind of like what I'm choosing to surround myself with, but like I'm happy. I'm so happy that it's, uh, that like, that's what's happening right now. It's totally. a good, it's a good moment, you know? Yeah. I was in, I was in a session yesterday and, um, uh, I work with this female producer and we had a female co-writer and a female artist and a female manager and a female executive. And, and, and it, to be able to say like, you know, like everyone in this room stop and look around because mm-hmm. this is what the yeah. music industry is right now and mm-hmm. it will only improve over time where hopefully where people should if if they have the ability to open the door for other people they need mm-hmm. to do that and and men need to be allies in in this discussion it can't just be women opening the door for women men need to do that too and yeah. you know people of color mm-hmm. and and other you know uh, others sure. like everyone should be opening the door for other people. Yeah. Um, it's it's really how things change, and so I again, very cool. So we're gonna go to this next segment. We're gonna go five for five. I'm gonna list five people, uh, and just tell me what comes off the top of your head. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, we're gonna start with Pete Gambarg. Oh. Um, do I do just do one word or you could do whatever you want? I, no one's, I, 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 I love know, him. It's not like, I love eh. him. He's my family. <laughs> okay. I like that. He really is. Um, let's go with Jen DeSilvio, the executive producer of your new album. Oh dude, my fucking ride or die. My number one, my Italian princess sister from another mister. Let's go with Jason Mraz. Oh, the original love of my life. I hope he hears this. Uh, <laughs> if not, we should text him. Let's go with uh, your husband. Oh, Paul. He's my rock. Literally couldn't get through life without him. Your daughter. My twin flame, my North Star, my whole entire world. Okay, one more. Your brother. Oh. Uh, my best friend and my inspiration and um, my uh, my favorite person. Did you guys, um, as we're finishing up, I just how how was the dynamic between the two of you as your star kind of like shot up, you know, and going through all this stuff? Did you guys always was there always the brother sister support was was it always a, a good relationship throughout all of it honestly yeah he was doing his thing he was doing his own thing i was doing my thing he couldn't have been happier he's come to everything i've ever done we wrote a song together for my first album we did a song together for my christmas ep like when we can collaborate we do um he lived in la and then he got married and had a baby moved to laguna and then he moved back to philly so as far as like 
hanging out as much as we would love to. We, we don't, but like he was just visiting here for two weeks. We went to Disneyland. We're obsessed with star Wars. We like, we're just like the same person. We even look like twins. So like we hang out as much <laughs> as we can and we support each other the best way we can. We, we've just That's got beautiful. it. My, my mom and dad are real happy with how tight we are. Well, thank you for doing the yeah, podcast. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. You know, I feel like I feel like we've like circled around each other in this business I for know, a long time, and some somehow not really been in the same room, but we have so many friends yeah. in common that I feel like I know so much same, about you already. Same. But um, yeah, it was it was really good having you. Yeah, thank man, you it was again. awesome talking to you. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis. Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirchin, Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.